Welcome to Neighborly. The Mendacious Effect. House number 35. Little Street. Liars. Lying and scheming and betraying. The world changes with us, but with liars it will all be down to high and below. Birds have a sweet song. They sing it every day, and sometimes at night if they feel cheeky. But aren't birds always cheeky? On a picket fence, blackbirds sang in joy, almost like a reply to Mr. Crow's ears as he whistled at them his gloved fingers running over the top of mining mailboxes as the clack of his cane and shoes hit the pavement. Such lovely houses. Lovely could be a word another would use, but not him. Mr. Crow sighed to himself. Weeks ago, he'd sent his dearest babe into this place, and guilt gnawed at him for using her to collect a creature that held such animosity. But entomology was just as much a part of him as his tricks and tarot. He'd make it up to her. He always did. Perhaps a pastry from the bakery he'd seen earlier, when he'd accidentally walked into that nice old man and given a reading. He couldn't recall the name. He'd seen many faces here. The man who smiled kindly with dark hair and eyes and a hand wrapped around another man. The woman in the fifties dress. And, strangely, he'd once seen a ship in the sky. Perhaps it was a parade bun. He'd avoid chocolate, however, as Magpie had as severe an allergy as he did. Perhaps a box of a dozen shoe pastries would do. They would like that. Perhaps a few comics. No, not comics. Manga. Crow was not very familiar with the modern generation's reading material, but his babe loved many picture books. What was the one they loved reading on the computer? Something stuck. He'd spent many nights painting different shades of orange on a pointy headband for Mike Pie to wear. But since he did get bored just reading tarot and selling stationery, trinkets, and tea packets all day, he was grateful for the projects. Why was he here again? Ah, yes, to visit a dear old friend, a caw from the hills over yonder. It was rare for Manny to call upon him this way. No one had spoken to him since the incident which had been a decade of mourning and raising the brightest life of the world alone. He didn't mind it. He did mind the wrath of his grief, and forever wished he had not ignored so many worried voices for many years, but when should a raging tide stop raging? A step to the right, and yes, there was House 35, a familiar view of moss and creeper vines covering a tall house that looked sharp and small, almost like a tower. He knew personally how spacious it was inside, and as he climbed up to it, he easily avoided the broken third step. Mr. Crow raised his hand to knock, and paused. The red door had gained scratches since his last visit, and the pentacle that had once brightly hung from pale strings was now a broken three-pointed thing. Heartbreaking. He had bought that for them, his beloved acquaintance. 
He put his fingers out to trace the scratches on the door, removing a glove as he felt the chipped wood, but his touch was gone as the door moved itself away. Habibi, how long do you intend to stand in this blastful cold? I very much would like to close my door, as this harsh wind is disturbing my papers and poor Missy. A grin marked Mr. Crow's face as he turned to look at the head poking out, with brown skin the same shade as his and long brown hair woven into a braid. They stood tall in a yellow pencil skirt, light brown tights, a red velvet sweater, the texture of which was repulsive. A long blue scarf with ugly gold tassels was draped over their shoulder. It fit snugly under their well-kept beard. Dearest Murdoch, I see you still have that lovely owl's nest on your face, he quipped, gently pushing Murdoch aside as he walked in. How kind of you to say. I adore the chicken scratch on yours, Murdoch replied as they cupped Crow's chin with their ring-covered hand and tilted the shorter man's head. Gloved hands swatted the other as he turned to look inside. The once lemon-yellow furniture had changed position, and the mantle once covered in string lights was now displaying a flag, white with an ugly little red cross on it. Oh, this was atrocious, and not how he remembered this place at all. I know what you're thinking, and I'm afraid to alarm you. The English flag is very much my husband's, Murdoch said as he closed the door. You married? Seems you finally got your Prince Charming. Quite grateful to not have received an invitation, though, for I dread you would have dressed as ugly as you are now. Crow mused. Very brave of the man with the hair of an orange to say my choice of comfortable wear is ugly. And you assume I didn't invite... Oh, shush. You won't let that go. Murdoch puffed out. Princes and princesses. Such a strange thing to be or want. I cannot imagine wanting someone to save you from your own misery. Rapunzel sometimes needs to climb down on their own, don't they? I don't assume. I know you wouldn't have... Do you remember the last time we saw each other? I was with Babe, and Robinson still thought you'd be at... He was cut off by a bad impression of his late husband's accent. Hag upon my day, Murdoch spat out. Crow snorted at it. You did call him an overbearing git constantly, Crow muttered as he hung his coat in the rack behind the door and his cane against the wall, where he noticed another scratch. He was an overbearing git. How do you ever love a man who said tea was disgusting hot water and ate chips with mustard? Murdoch asked as they ran to the kitchen, placing a yellow kettle on the stove, walking past the fat, hairless cat curled up in the corner. Missy, a very sweet girl, had been Crow's cat once, but he had rehomed her due to Robinson's allergies. He couldn't stand seeing his husband sick. Gugh. I never want to talk ill of the dead, but perhaps it is best that Robinson is in the grave. Chips and mustard. Dear God, I'm going to be sick. We have much to catch up on, don't we, my paramour? Crow said loudly, a running gag between the two. I'm married, Murdoch caterwauled. Marriage is a concept, like most concepts that can be broken. Not if I can help it. Afraid I'll have to kill your husband and take his place. I'll shower you in yellow stationery and more ugly scarves, Crow said with a popping laugh. Murdoch laughed in return. It was the prettiest thing he'd ever heard. The simple affection and love that a laugh can bring. A feast for all. But, anyway, I didn't love a man who thought tea was gross and ate chips with mustard. I loved and married a Scottish priest who spoke French with his mum on the phone and threw me into a lake after I called his shirts ugly, Crow reflected. He also once said you were built like a scarecrow. Horribly rude, Murdoch tutted. 
I do have a way with the birds, don't I, dear? I love smashing pumpkins, Mr. Crow mused. The band, or as an activity, Murdoch asked, rummaging through cabinets for the sugar jar. Both, Mr. Crow said, as he tipped Murdoch's dusty yellow corn-shaped hourglass back and forth. Mr. Crow had forgotten the amount of yellow that roamed this home. It could drive one to xanthophobia. Missy rolled herself out of bed, walked slowly to Crow's feet, and plopped down right in front of him. Precious girl, I love you, he thought to himself, leaning down to pet her. He glanced at a bookshelf brimming with trinkets, and saw the tiny clown doll that had been passed around their old group of friends. He hadn't seen it in years, but he recognized it immediately. A welcome friend. A relic of how it used to be. At least some things were still the same, like the faded, rabbit-patterned wallpaper. Crow faintly remembered Murdoch's big body shaking in his arms after they'd found a rabbit slain in the woods. Now his friend's wall was full of the things. How amusing of you to carry this here, Mr. Crow whispered as he ran a finger across the wall. Fear is many things. Fear is a toy that we don't want to play with anymore, so we hide it in the closet. It's terrifying to find out that the monster has followed you to where you prayed it could not. Better to hang the nightmare up than pretend it doesn't exist at all. Despite the mutual dislike, I do miss him, Murdoch said quietly. It was silent before the big being opened their mouth again. How did he... Melancholy took him. Couldn't do it, staying in that house all alone. That's why I moved, is all Mr. Crow gave. I send my sympathy, Murdoch said, before turning back to the kettle. Mr. Crow nodded, his fingers roaming over photo frames. And there it was. A photo of him, Murdoch, and his dear, out and about in a pub. That night, the last time Crow ever saw him with such a grin, throwing chips at Murdoch after being called a git again, but once again his eyes caught something he wished he didn't notice. It was cracked. Unnerving. No feeling of calm from this. All the other photos showed a pale man with slicked-back blonde hair bearing a smile and hand on Murdoch's waist. It made him sick, and he wanted to smash it. Have you ever painted a picture for someone? The process is sometimes messy, isn't it? Perhaps I should introduce you all to a trickster's art. The work has always been chaotic. Crow, do stop poking around. My husband despises fingerprints on things, Murdoch said sharply. With a hatred he could not but down as he stared at the cracked frames, Crow was smart enough to hide his rage in the curl of his lip. Frames are broken, he said quietly. Ah, uh, yes. We have yet to replace them. Missy found it oh so funny to climb onto the mantle and knock everything off. Now sit. Missy wouldn't jump. She would meow from the floor and cry when someone closed the bedroom door on her. But she hated heights, wanted to be carried at all times, and would never climb onto the mantle. He'd forgotten his friend's lying throat. One of the reasons he turned a blind eye on them. Murdoch sat down on a lemon-coloured chair, cups of tea in their hands, and passed one to Crow. Crow clasped the cup, a web-like design on the small saucer, and chugged it down, bitter. Crow didn't have the heart to tell Murdoch they were horrid at brewing Earl Grey, but he could not turn down food or drink. Sorry, I cannot help but be curious about this place. It's changed, 
Mr. Crow said quietly. Change wasn't the word he wanted to say, as he tucked himself into one of the sitting room couches. His home was filled with something. Not calm or quiet, but a ringing of stillness. Well, I haven't changed much, my friend. I'm still a history professor, and he's in the mythology department. Murdoch laughed, legs crossed, as they looked towards the door, waiting as they tapped the sides of the chair. My dear babe would like to see your university's library. They adore history books from school, Crow said, while images of her laying on the floor and running herself ragged through a book about folklore flashed in his mind. She had pointed to the pictures she thought were wicked cool for him to look at. I'm sure she's spoiled rotten by her brother, Murdoch said with a grin. Korax cut me off after she was born, Crow said, shifting in his seat. Murdoch looked with sympathy. Oh my, how awful. I truly did love his presence. He did not want to discuss that man, his spitting image, a stupid, cruel, sad fool who'd robbed himself of a family. Magpie asked about him all the time, hoping to see her uncle at holidays or maybe even her birthday. It was heartbreaking to see her so sad about this man. Uh, sweet Magpie, I do hope he's well. Don't forget her books and pastries, he reminded himself. The sound of the keyhole jiggling in the front door distracted him. Right, dearest, I'm home, a voice said in the doorway, the sound of the floor creaking as weight moved on it. A neatly dressed man came into view, stepping towards Murdoch to give them a kiss. A gentle sight, warm and affectionate on the surface. Murdoch kissed him back. Ugh, affection. Mr. Crow wasn't a fan. It made him blush. Ah, you must be Murdoch's friend. My dear has talked so much about you. I am Henry Evander, and you are? A pale hand reached out for him to shake. Thank God he hadn't taken off his gloves. Mr. Crow doesn't give out his name to Manny. Only Robinson knew his real one, but this doesn't stop him from giving a small curtsy of politeness and shaking the hand. My, my, Henry, it's a delight to meet you. I am Mortimer Greenbrier. The look on Murdoch's face was delightful. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, my friend... Mortimer? Murdoch said slowly, bewildered. What a lovely name! Oh dear, it seems you two drank all your tea. A refill? Henry asked. A great host, Crow supposed. Did you know that Evander is a figure in Roman mythology? The name is Greek origin, meaning good man. How ironic. When Henry went into the kitchen to refill the cups, Murdoch murmured to Crow, Did you change your name? I feel awful knowing I've been calling you the wrong one if this is true, my friend. And Mr. Crow stared at them with a look of mischief. It seems his dear companion had forgotten his past aliases. Murdoch had spent years switching between university and investigating with him, but one cannot make a Watson remember when Sherlock decides to drop an identity. Awfully quiet today, isn't it? he replied simply content with Murdoch's irritation at his answer. Hot cup is for my husband and the strange man they invited. Henry returned with two caps in hand, grinning ear to ear as he handed them over. Crow couldn't help but wrinkle his face at the comment. Mind if I play a record? The music from the university is oh so dreadful. Do what you please, but for the sake of everyone's sanity, don't play the Beatles, Mr. Crow mumbled as he took a sip. 
It was awful, like oleander, thick and sickening as he drank it down. Murdoch grinned at him, an awful being they were. Oh, I'm so glad you suggested that. Henry, grab the records. You toad, don't you dare, Mr. Crow hissed. And Henry was gone again, off to the attic to grab the player. Mr. Crow had thought about buying one of those for Magpie's birthday. He'd always wanted one, and lately he'd been listening to nothing but those pop songs. The music wasn't Mr. Crow's style, but a father never said no when asked to play. Better than those stupid rock bands, at least. But even those he didn't mind if Magpie was the one playing them. She was his blessed babe, and he loved all she did. Why will we wait for your delightful boy to come? Care for a reading? Mr. Crow asked, shoving his hands into his pocket. He felt the faint touch of the cards against his fingers as he gently unsheathed them. Murdoch looked at him with wide eyes. They feared the cards, and he couldn't blame them for it. You know... I am... All those readings do is cause fear, Murdoch said quietly, shifting in their seat, less relaxed now. Well, if that's what you believe, then surely you won't mind a fake reading, then. Now pick cards, dearest, Mr. Crow said as he laid them out on the table in a neat row. The ones who come begging for change never seem to realize that the cards choose them. Mr. Crow knew this personally. He'd designed them that way. Robinson had feared them as well. Murdoch sighed in resignation, laying a hand over the cards. Crow couldn't tell if Murdoch was ignoring the sound of fluttering as the cards shifted under their fingers. Now, which cards did you choose? he asked, grinning widely. Shut up, Murdoch grumbled, and pushed three cards towards him. Crow gently flipped them over with a spin. Death unfolded with a star, and a fool watched in horror. Death? You will experience loss. Hoping someone dies today, Murdoch? Crow joked with a waggle of his eyebrows. Oh, God, no! What are the other two? Murdoch said, curiosity piked. You are blessed by the star, filled with renewed hope. Something has you faithful. He said on the telly they were making peanut biscuits again. Crow cackled as he grabbed the last one, but paused. The fool, a familiar friend. Something was wrong. The fool and its dog were gone, replaced with a hermit, a horrified face, and a dead rabbit with two holes poked into its neck. What could this mean? God, he was dizzy. He couldn't help but lean back into his seat and tightly shut his eyes. This was just the beginning of a web, twisting and tying itself to the heart. Found the player, Henry announced, interrupting his thoughts once again. Oh, lovely. Crow croaked from his seat. His body burned. It felt like he'd eaten hot silver. Could I ask where your facilities are? Murdoch's face flashed with worry. Up the stairs to the left. Do you need help finding it? They said gently. Crow nodded, but couldn't seem to get up. Legs jelly as he grunted in pain. Everything was numb. Have you ever been in pain? Ah, I didn't think it would take effect so quickly. Truly, I thought you were strong enough to fight it off. Effect? Henry, what did you do to him? Murdoch barked in a tone of panic. The music started, covering up the screaming of Murdoch and their husband. All Mr. Crow could hear was bits and pieces of the argument. You monster! You knew I knew him! Of course I did. Didn't you forget our pact? 
You horrid, foul man! Get out of my house now! I'm afraid I won't be leaving, and neither will you, Henry said cheerfully. And suddenly all Mr. Crow saw was Henry's fingers turning sharp and cutting into Murdoch's arm like a knife into cheese. Murdoch yelped in horror as they fell down, sliding against the wall. Drops of red spattered onto Mr. Crow's face like paint. The music was overbearing to his ears, warbling itself into gibberish. The room was spinning, and feathers were sprouting from his arm. His fingernails, once moon-shaped, were now claws. He couldn't grasp anything. The air was hard to breathe. I was almost disappointed it wouldn't work, Henry said, his voice gurgling and strange. What did you do to me? Crow rasped. He couldn't help but dig his hand into the seat, trying to grip something as the room started spinning rapidly, colors shifting and changing. A simple shot of venom to subdue you, a bit of mint to drown out the taste. Now, time to discuss what I am to do with you. Personally, I want to kill you and drop your head in the high place courtyard, Henry said, sitting down in front of him. Murdoch was on the floor, shaking in fear, knees up to their chest as the blood spilled from their wound. But unlike you, I don't get joy from killing my own, let alone sending my child to do it for me, Henry drawled. Ah, family rivals. Almost like the Montagues and Capulets. Everything ends in tragedy, doesn't it? Who are you? Crow asked shakily. Feathers poked out around his face. His ears turned pointy. Teeth shifted in his mouth, cutting his cheek. Fear reveals the true form of money, but this was not fear, it was wrath. A million eyes and sharp mandibles looked at Henry with hate. I am a man in grief. That little brat killed my descendant. You murdered my brood in broad daylight. But thank God my pact with this pathetic coward brought you to me, stupid king boy. Henry hissed and stabbed the seat with his knife-like fingers. The fury and grief separated from itself in a horrible way. Now it was just rot. Crow scoffed. He sat himself up the best he could, a leg crossing over the other. Sharp rows of teeth grinned lethally at Henry. All you horrid foul things do is take. You eat sons and daughters, you steal babies from their cradles and replace them with parasites, trying to fit in places where you never belong to begin with. Is it fun to force yourselves into these people's lives disguised as loved ones? He snapped. I knew you were protective of mortals, but I didn't truly think you'd be stupid enough to betray your own for them, Henry laughed. My own killed my husband on the hills and left me half dead in the river, hoping to collect my child, Crow said coldly. What? But you told me he was... Murdoch said, tears dripping like hot wax. You lied to me! You led me into a trap. You have no right to be upset with me when you packed it with a monster behind my back, he snapped. Shut up! Both of you pathetic creatures, shut up! Henry barked. Crow and Murdoch stared at each other in silence. Ah, yes, the priest. They wouldn't have touched him if you'd taken better care of your things. Shame they didn't get the brat as well. I was very surprised to have seen such a lowly thing best one of mine like that. Henry sneered, foot tapping against the floor. Hell hath no fury like a father's love for his daughter. To insult his child is to die. Crow's rage refueled him to move and tackle the man in an instant. Lowly brat, don't you dare talk about my child that way. You can mock me and my poor husband, but my child? You have a death wish, you ugly twat, Crow shouted. 
He wasn't the best at knocking fists, but anyone who dared insult his daughter would be beaten with his cane for all he cared. House 35 was a nightmare, a terrible nightmare, and Crow was very much going to kill this horrid man. Fist to teeth and teeth to skin, Henry yelped in genuine fear. Crow went for the final punch when suddenly the room turned cold, as if he'd been thrown in the river again. Henry grinned at him, having stabbed through Crow's waist. No gentle poke as red came out like pearls from a broken necklace, and Murdoch screamed. Henry pulled his hands out, pushed Crow off, but just as Henry struck him, Murdoch smashed Crow's cane into Henry's head like a boot to a bug on the floor. Suddenly the room spun again, and Mr. Crow was falling into nothing. He couldn't see anything but tiny little lights like stars. The roses buried outside in the yard last year tried to reach out. The vines and thorns gripped his wrists tightly, desperate to catch him, but it all broke under him. Cold river water engulfed him, and then suddenly it was gone. He stood in a field, wet and cold and bleeding. Hair stuck to his face and his earrings. God, he hoped they weren't broken. This field... The field where he had first lost his giggling babe along the rolling tides of grass and sea salt in the air. Too little to understand why an empty casket was put into the ground, or why he had helped her put orchids on top of it. But they had been running and laughing, rolling around in nothing but life and black. Too strange, too scared, and too poor to have buried James sooner. I see why James never liked tea, he groaned. How stupid was he? His eyes picked up on everything, yet he did not see this man for who he truly was. The monsters had run their course through his life, and Crow was forever grateful none of them ever dared again to stand over his babe's cradle. Murdoch, how could they? Crow stumbled through the high grass, the wound in his side pouring like red like the bottom tassels of the shop's curtains. He couldn't leave Magpie behind like this. Who would take her? Perhaps his mother-in-law. Magpie loved her grandma very much, but she was old. He couldn't leave Magpie with his mother. Too dangerous. She was from an old world. Magpie was young and normal. Not like him. Not born in a space meant to keep them down. Korax hated her. He was a complete nutter, the same nutter who had knelt beside Mr. Crow on the kitchen floor while he was pregnant, as he cried that he didn't put the milk away. At least the feathers had disappeared, but his ears stayed pointed. Everything was still spinning, and he couldn't tell if it was from the tea or the wound. You don't always see what people really are. They could be your dearest friend or a nice stranger. How can you tell if someone's cruel? We don't. You don't. Perhaps it's time to take a right. And Crow looked up to the sky. Or the ceiling, maybe. He knew he was hallucinating, overly aware that any voices he might hear weren't real. Suddenly, he was in the library where he first met Robinson. He'd met him on the steps of James's church, but this was where he first truly saw the man, big and looming, and in an ugly sweater that said, Nevada? He thought it had been Nevada. Not that Mr. Crow cared. 
He had watched the man pick out a book of poems by John Keats. But this time, he wasn't seeing Robinson. Instead, he saw the pathetic coward who had brought this upon him. Murdoch was scanning the shelf, muttering frantically. Crow grabbed some books and threw them at the large man, staining the covers with his bloody hands. You! How dare you! How dare you! I'm going to kill you! I'm going to kill you for this! He shouted. Murdoch yelped in fear and dodged them before ripping their head around towards Mr. Crow and screeching, If you think that just because you're up the spout, you can act like a complete nutter, you have another thing coming, Crow! Murdoch said before another book clipped him on the shoulder. Oh, I have another thing coming? Are you insane? You're luring me here to get murdered, but I'm the nutter. Stupid toad, Mr. Crow hissed. Don't you call me names in my own house, Murdoch hissed back. Screw your stupid house. Now explain everything or I will smack you with a hardback book right now, Mr. Crow snarled, gripping the book in his hand. No, I owe you no- What the hell? Explain or I do worse, Crow said darkly. He'd ruin my career if I didn't call you, Murdoch whined. My work is too important, more than our friendship. A liar is always, I see. Rat, tell me the truth, or I'll do something I normally wouldn't, Crow threatened. Gonna throw a book at me again? I'll turn you into a donkey. Aware that Crow was not bluffing, Murdoch answered truthfully. You were away on Catabasis when I married him. I knew what he was, but I wasn't aware of his hard plan. I was terrified when he stabbed you, so I beat him to death with your cane. He's been a terrible man since I married him, and it was satisfying to finally beat him back. I wish you'd called me sooner. I would have wished you away, Crow said. There was a short pause before he leaned on the larger man for balance. Well, congrats on the divorce. Shall we bury him in the backyard? Yes, and... Oh, apologies for the wound. Do you take credit or cash? Murdoch asked as they walked towards the door. I will take an apology in the form of pastries, comic books, and bunratty mead. Oh, and stitches, of course. I don't want to die now, do I? Mr. Crow said with a sneer. His next two days would be spent recovering in bed. Magpie was very pleased with her pastries, comics, and the record player she'd received earlier than expected, and the new family pet, Missy. We have unearned luck. Now to scrape the serpent's tongue. Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Today's House was written by Gerard Wahaya Hassan, with dialogue editing by Kit Robson, soundscaping by Matthew O.K. Smith, music by Alex Schwartz, and art by Claudia Pollard. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.card.co or follow us on social media at neighborlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. Most of all, we would appreciate it if you told a friend, because they might tell a friend and they might tell a friend, and who knows, eventually God might finally listen to us. Today's ghost is that one. That one there. The one behind you. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.